Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Enablement Evolved. I'm really excited for today's chat with this guest. Is it someone I've caught up with a number of different times and we've always had a good time, including in the, the, the green room as we'll call it ahead of this this conversation. So um, welcome to Enablement Evolved, Jonathan Carford. How are you? Hey, I'm uh, I'm good, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. we were laughing before. I'm trying not to l- uh, lose it here. So. <laughs> But, yeah. I, but I really truly appreciate being here and of course you're excited because I mean hello it's the best episode ever agreed come on um, and normally, normally I do clips to put out on social media of really nice things that people say but for us it's going to be pure bloopers <laughs> ahead of this so, I love it let's do it we've got I mean we, we've got an, a, a, an absolute roll of bloopers up to this point there you go. <laughs> um, so I suppose a good place to start is at the beginning yeah. So, um, why don't you give us a little bit of a, an understanding of your journey in enablement and and what you're up to right now? Yeah. So, um, there's there's the two sides which before enablement ever existed or was called enablement. You know, um, I was on a different journey where different parts of enablement were part of what I was doing. So, I'll give you an example. I was doing sales for a long time. Grew up doing sales. Um, I my dad owned a tire mechanic shop, and so I I sold tires and wheels and auto stuff. You know, during my youth. Um, and then in my 20s, sold enterprise mid-market business, all sorts of industries. I've been very eclectic in where I've been. So I've sold all sorts of weird, crazy things. <clears throat> and uh, it, it was, uh, I loved sales. Like, I loved the whole sales experience. And um, I always performed all my really good money. And at the same time, um, I was also doing uh, life coaching. So I'm very passionate about the consulting life coaching world. My uh, My undergrad is in organizational behavior and leadership. My MBA is in leadership and marketing. I love the topic and always wanted to be able to use that passion somehow professionally. Um, but consulting never really clicked for me. It just didn't ever, um, it didn't vibe the way I wanted because I didn't have the impact that I wanted. I, I actually independently consulted several businesses before um, I went into enablement. I love the experience, but it wasn't quite what I wanted because it was very short-lived in my experience. Um, because I didn't have the ability to really impact the org. Um, so on my professional journey, going through, you know, training after training after training as a salesperson, going through all the methodology stuff and the coaching, all this other shenanigans, I've definitely experienced what is not good coaching and what's not good onboarding and what's not good training. Like I've, I've had the gamut across the board of really good and crappy. Um, and then a few years ago, I was working with Franklin Covey, actually, and they, they their product is all about enablement. They, they don't call it that, but it's basically just enablement. And that's where I find, found the combination of both sales and enablement into one spot because our team both sold and enabled the customers we sold to. Like we consulted and implemented the content, which was a lot of fun. And that's where I kind of saw the mixture of enablement inside of an org. Um, and from there, I kind of stuck with enablement. On a personal note, um, I shifted from sales to enablement because um, sales at the time required a lot of travel. And I couldn't travel as much because my wife, on a personal level, had had some injuries, and I had to be home more. So I had to find a way to be able to still work, but be able to be home as well. Um, I, I just heard recently that some people say that enablement people are washed-up salespeople trying to be an enablement. Um, I was like, I take offense to that because some of the best, most strategic <clears throat> people I know are in enablement, and a lot of them I know were top sales reps, you know. And I, I was consistently in the top 10%, so I was like, I don't think that's true, personally. Yeah, I can see how it could be true. But anyways, the point is, is that I really found where I could take my sales skills, where I learned from you know 15 years of selling everything under the sun, enterprise, mid-market, SMB, B2B, B2C, and then mix that in with my life coaching skills 
into enablement. Um, and then, you know, it, having a, a background in marketing, both independently and otherwise, I was able to use all my content knowledge. It was like this perfect marriage of everything that enablement does of what I do in different areas. I was never able to combine it into one spot. Um, yeah. But since being there, it's been nice to flex my muscles a little bit in each place because most of the teams I've been on, I've been the individual contributor head of revenue enablement building out a function from scratch because no one ever yeah. done it before, you know. So it's been a, a blast. I've done that three times now or redefined a program twice. Um, and a lot of it came from, you know, what I learned from Franklin Covey. A lot of it came from schooling. A lot of it came from what I know should not work <laughs> or you shouldn't do, I should say. Um, and that's kind of where I am now is just enjoying the journey and, and just loved the whole process. I've met some of the great people like yourself and other people in the SEC and the sales name of society and all these other great organizations that are just phenomenal professionals at what they do. So I've loved it. Good. Um, can I just ask you, can you, your mic is catching on your, Oh, sorry. Perfect. No, it's just feeding back a little bit. That's fine. We'll cut it out. But, yep. Um, so that that kind of you've you've kind of answered it, but I I wanted to um, bring up the name that lots of people know you by, which is Coach K. Yeah, uh, and that's interestingly how I first knew who you were, um, and it's also a lot easier than looking at your last surname. Right? Yes, so yes, I I, yes, I went with that the first time we spoke. But where do, where does that name come from? Is it just that background from life coaching, or is what where does your passion for coaching for coaching sorry come in general? Well, first, I was not given the nickname, um, but it, it, it's been called enough that kind of caught on. So people call me that. I'm like, I might as well just go with this, make sure people know it's me they're talking about, you know. Um, but uh, one of my jobs I was at, the, the head of marketing was a nickname giver. Like, he just loved giving nicknames. Right. And, and he couldn't say my last name. And there's too many Johns. Like, there's literally like five or six Johns or Jonathans. And so everyone's getting confused. So he walked by my desk one day. He's like, I'm tired of this. I'm going to call you hmm, Coach. Coach K. I like it. Okay. Okay. Cool. Because and I was like, "Why do you call me coach?" He was like, "Well, you're you coach the sales team, and your last name's K, so that's it. That's how it is." I'm like, "Okay, cool." <laughs> that's easy. Said, right? Yeah. And then ever since then, like it just went through the ranks of the company, and then you know, t the guys have gone, gone and gone and come from that team, um, and like I've been introduced to it on on other places outside of the work area, so it just kind of stuck and went. Um, I I wish I could be half as good quarter as good 10th as good as the actual coach k like i have nothing but admiration for the real coach k of duke he's, he's phenomenal at what he does um so for me it, it's it's a privilege to be able to be even close to that realm um but it just makes it easier for people because my last name's like as you said before it could be kvart or it could be <laughs> yeah it could be all swiss i feel attacked I, I told you that. I told you that in secret. I said, Varf, Varf, Varf. Oh, come on. Everyone says that they see my name. I, it's what it's the unspoken yeah. conversation people have. It's okay. Of course. Yeah. I, I've had an interesting um, life with my own name here because it, sure. my name, you can spell it like four or five different ways. And I quite often get the four or five different ways on a regular basis. <laughs> so um, not quite pronunciation, but um, definitely on, on the written form. But so to, I suppose to build on the, the coach case, side of things, how I first um, found out about yourself was actually as part of the SEC, the Sales Enablement Collective, for those who oh. are not cool enough to know the acronym, like us, you and I. <laughs> um, but cool um, if you don't know the acronym. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so, um, the, 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 I think the thing uh, the thing that I saw was as part of their courses. So I used to beta test a couple of their courses, and then I saw their course catalog. And then in there, there is a 
um, sales coaching course or certification, and you, I believe you put that together, the approach you to do that. So I suppose my question at the end of that preamble is, how important do you believe coaching as a skill is for enablers or enablement teams? How important? It's, it's a really good question because there's a lot of important priorities and skills people should have, but I think coaching is right up there with all of them. Um, yeah, I, I'd say 10 out of 10, personally. If you're not able to do that, I think it's a, a vital function, even if you're not doing it, but to provide coaching for coaches or to provide a coaching environment is crucial, I think, for success. Agreed. And why, why in it? I mean... I, you and I are very similar. You've got, I think, I believe, a sports coaching background similar to myself outside mm-hmm. of the, the sort of corporate, the corporate world. But, um, and I agree. I think one of the biggest differences between management and leadership is the ability to coach, right? Regardless yeah. of whether that's HR, sales, enablement, whatever, right? That, in my opinion, anyway, that's like a, a huge differential between a manager and a coach. But within the enablement world. Because for me, there's a bit of a grey area because we often talk about coaching cultures. And when we talk about that, we're quite, I would say, in the majority of times, we're talking about um, sales managers. So, mm-hmm. again, going back to where it, for, for enablement, how and when and where do you believe that enablers should be coaching at this, you know, when they're working with the sales teams? Yeah, it, it depends on the structure and the size of the team, you know, because sometimes enablement. I've been in teams where I was the only enabling person, but there's 60 different people. And I, I, don't, I don't have time to do 60 call reviews every single week and do coaching. I just don't, you know? So you have to be able to rely on managers. I think the biggest challenge in my experience is that it's really easy to say create a co- coaching culture, but no one really knows what coaching is in the first place. And culture mm-hmm. by itself, outside of whatever else you want to call it, is one of the hardest things to manage. Um, it, it's... Everyone does their part, but it's one of the hardest things you can really make sure it's solid. So I think it's really important to make sure that people have an idea of what good coaching looks like one-on-one. And then the culture is, in my opinion, keeping people accountable to the good coaching model. And then that it just replicates itself over and over and over. And hopefully you have the, the place where not only can the managers coach their reps, but reps can also coach their managers on how best to manage them. You know, it goes both ways. It's not just, hey, let's coach on your performance. It's like, I, I want to have a place where anyone I work with can say, can I coach you on how to work with me or how to lead me? I'm like, please tell me. Like, I, I don't know how to lead you unless you tell me. I can guess. But um, if you tell me, then I can obviously do a better job because I know what you want, you know. So I, I think it's really important just to make sure people understand what is coaching, what is good coaching, and how to implement that. Yeah, agreed. And I think you're probably similar to myself in, in that, you know, when it, whether it was a sales team you were leading, like you mentioned before you moved into enablement, I think one of those first sort of pillars that you want to put down for or the stamp on your team is what are your expectations of me and what do you think my expectations are of you mm-hmm. around everything, communication and coaching and development and stuff like that. Um, and I suppose from, 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 from my side, what I'm interested in is, if the SEC approached you to do this, what was what was their thought process or philosophy behind offering that as part of their enablement enablement course bundle? Um, at the time, they didn't have as many courses on all the enablement functions. They had some things, pieces here and there, um, but they were trying to build out their library of all the things they kept getting requested to have access to, and they didn't have anything in coaching. So, 
Okay. Uh, it's kind of funny because um, I love, I mean, being an ex-life coach and working one-on-one with, with literally hundreds of people before I ever got into enablement, um, and then being enabled and actually coaching people one-on-one since then, um, it's it's obviously a strength of mine that I've practiced a lot. And so it was natural for me to suggest, because they asked me, like, what topic do you want to talk about? And they said, here are the three or four that we keep being asked about, and coaching was one of them. I said, that one. Let's work on that one first, and the other ones I can help with if we need to. Um, and then it kind of developed into the Sales Coaching Mastery course, which was a blast. Um, but on their side, it was because even right now I'm doing a, an SEC, uh, webinar series with two other really, really good enabling people on coaching because yep. SEC keeps getting asked about it. So, um, it seems to be something, especially now, I think because the market, we talked about this before, I think last time we met how it shifted to where it's no longer about adding revenue by adding headcount. It's adding revenue per headcount, meaning you have to get more per person versus mm-hmm. hiring a much more. Cause in the past, when you know everyone knows this, when the tech bubble was going crazy and had lots of money, you just hire, 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 and you get more money from just more salespeople, CSMs, BDRs, whatever. But now you're cutting. Actually, you have to cut, which means the people who stay have to make up the gap, ten, fifteen percent of what someone else was carrying. You know, so it makes it that much more crucial for enablement to provide the coaching, training, environment, support, whatever you want to call it, and coaching themselves to make sure that the teams can meet that level. Because I think they can. It's just that. They need, the, they need the guidance. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. And I've, I've had this conversation with um, a couple of people, a couple of enablers, and we had um, Aaron Evans, or Aaron Evans, sorry, on the, the show um, yeah, a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, he was talking about coaching and his view on it, uh, and he primarily coaches salespeople and sales leaders as part of, uh, obviously, a flow state, which who do a fantastic job just in content, never mind what it must be like to go through their, their actual um, boot camps and stuff like that. Yeah. Anytime I've been on a, a live SEC session, um, or sorry, speaking at the events, coaching and credibility around coaching really seems to be one of the most common topics that, that gets brought up. So <clears throat> I suppose my, my question around that is with a lot of, I think there's, a, in my opinion, there's a little bit of a gray area around who's responsible for coaching within Sale, revenue org, sales org, whatever you want to call them, in that revenue enablement or sales enablement expect sales leaders and sales managers to coach. Um, sales managers say that they don't have time. But then if that gets pushed to the revenue enablement or sales enablement people, they feel like they lack the credibility and the skill set. Mm-hmm. Have you found similar yourself or is that sort of is my, my small <laughs> sample size? Do you think that's that you think that's true or do you think that that's just what i've experienced well there's two sides to that i think one it's very accurate because i've been i mean i was in sales for 15 years before enablement um and it it hasn't mattered where i've gone all the sales people were like well you sold for 15 years somewhere else but you've never sold this here now you know sure. so even if i had sales experience they still would be like who are you why were you sure listen to you um which is part of the reason why i use i like to use peer performance um, as part of my coaching, because if, if they won't rely on me on credibility, I will use the top performer as my credibility piece. Cause I will shadow them, take notes. And then when I coach someone, be like, Hey, I know this person does this thing. Then they listen, even though it's something I would have told them anyways. But if I add in, by the way, the top person does it to go oh, really cool. Then I'll do this. Um, so it is a way you can get around it. But going back to the sports coaching metaphor, there are some coaches out there who have never played basketball, football, baseball in their life. And yet they're really, really good at what they do for whatever reason. Like it could be a, a pitching coach because they know 
um, their physical therapists know how to get more strength out of their arm of their pitcher. And so they, they, they coach them because they know how to get that out. Even though they have no idea what the crap they're doing in the baseball game itself, they know how to make a really good pitcher as far as arm strength, right? Um, I think that same thing applies. I don't think you have to have sales experience to be a coach. You do have to, you do have to understand the sales process, and which means that even if you haven't been in sales, you do need to understand what's going on so you can understand their viewpoints, just like a customer. If I don't know the customer's experience, how am I supposed to improve it? You have to know the salesperson experience. You do know that or have to know that, but you don't have to have that experience for it. The other side of what you said too was that if a manager has the attitude that they don't have time for coaching, what in the world are they doing besides pipeline and trying to sell for their reps? Like to me, half of a manager, half, 50% is coaching. If they're not mm-hmm. doing that, what are they doing? <laughs> you know what Agreed. I mean? I, I understand their mindset because I've been in a startup world where you have, there's so much to do and there's so much on frontline managers' plates. But at the same time, like this is the most impactful, most crucial thing you can do to hit your reps' numbers. If you're not doing this and all you're doing is managing pipeline and making sure they put in notes in Salesforce, you're not going to hit your goals, And which has been the case almost every single time. When active coaching is not happening, people don't perform. So, Yeah, it's interesting. Um, even when you're talking about like updating Salesforce and stuff like that, if you ask most people, what a what an old school sales manager looks like it's like spreadsheet coaching ask me to do more calls and i genuinely believe we still have those people today but they just sit in front of a sales a crm yep. they sit in front of a sales author and outreach analytics and we, we just look at that but it's different because it's on a platform so it doesn't have the same sort of stigma because it's our engagement platform and stuff like that and um i commented on one of your posts on linkedin the other day and I did a session with the SEC around leadership development the other day. I think it was last week, two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, leadership development is something I'm exceptionally passionate about. One of the things I spoke about was was pretty much exactly what you just said. And this is what I commented on your post is, man, in my opinion, managers are responsible for the people responsible for doing the job. And we look at managers, sales leaders, managers, their KPIs are almost the same, if not identical, to that of a sales rep. Mm-hmm. Right. So what are you putting people in this role for? So for me, it should be rather than being like just how much how much is in the pipeline and stuff like that. Because that's that that run that's a thread that runs through the entire revenue org. For me, if you're a sales leader, um then you should have your KPIs around how much time you spent on one-to-ones, how much time you spend coaching, how many team coaching sessions have you done, how many calls have you listened to, how much how many scorecards have you filled in? How many bits of feedback have you given? Um, you know, what have you created development plans? What's the career path mapping for the people in your team? That should be a manager's KPIs because realistically, that's your job, right? You're there to develop yeah. people. You, you've you've done the sales bit, right? That's my opinion of it. It's, it's very similar to, to yourself, it sounds, but yeah, I mean, minimum fifty percent. And I and I've said this on a couple of other podcasts that I've done either on on hours or being a guest on. And sometimes I, I do believe that there is a there is a point that all revenuers get to where actually the, the 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 company would like managers to coach, but then they're actually it's the company that's getting in the way because they want three forecast meetings a week and they expect all these different meetings and you've got to go to twenty interviews a week and all these things are important. Yeah. But the one that is important is the ROI you get on on coaching, as you said, right? So I suppose on on that and to touch back on something you mentioned before. Coach K or Mr. Kavarfavard, depending on how you want to do it. So, um, you, you mentioned obviously what, what good coaching looks like. And I know something that you're pretty passionate about, and you certainly mentioned it the last time we caught up, was around your level. How do you view the levels of competency in coaching? 
So uh, could you talk us yeah. through your, your views on that? Uh, yeah, I, I've mentioned this on a couple of other podcasts because I don't think it's something we talk enough about. It's just knowledge gaps um, or skill gaps. Well, I know people talk about skill or competency gaps, but they don't talk about the knowledge to get between here and there. So for whoever's listening that does not know this framework, you should Google it. It's called the competencies or levels, levels of competencies, four levels of competencies. Sorry. So there's four levels and it's all about how to learn anything. So I, I like to use driving a car as an example. So you're two years old. Like I have a two-year-old right now who goes in the car. They have no idea what they're doing. They just get into a car and they're winging around, seeing cars going, and they get excited to see a bus, right? They are unconsciously competent at driving a car because they don't know that they don't know how to drive a car. When they get to be 10 to 15 and they start to go, hey, this car moves around and there's a person doing it and I can actually go places, then be, they become aware that they don't know how to drive. That's called conscious incompetence. Then there's conscious competence, which means I now know that I know. So you're a 15, 16 year old going through classes and you're practicing, you have your hands on 10 and two, and you're being really careful, not try to go crazy on the grandma in front of you. Uh, but you're really focused on driving. You have to be consciously competent at what you're doing, but you have to pay attention. Then the next step is unconscious incompetence, which just means you're now 25. You know, you see girls in the car all the time, doing their makeup, eating his food, changing the radio station, driving with their foot. <laughs> doing all the stuff that they can do without even thinking about it, going 90 miles an hour down the road. So that becomes unconscious competence. That same scale of flow between learning happens in everything that we do. What I see a lot of times in coaching as far as organizations are concerned is that people who are in management um, are sometimes, not always, but sometimes were top performers before in sales or CSM or whatever. And so they become unconsciously competent at sales or relationships or whatever it is. And, um, they don't always remember that their reps, they might be at level 10 and the reps are level two and they talk at a level 10 level, but the reps don't hear it. Cause they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm still on level two. I'm still trying to figure out how to make sure I'm not driving my car into the wall. You're doing, <laughs> you're, you're, t you're going nine miles an hour changing your makeup and I have no idea what you're talking about. You know? Yeah. Um, so that gap, I think is the knowledge gap that enablement is responsible for pointing out. Cause it's a good thing to have a VP of sales or a director of sales or whoever it is to be unconsciously competent. That's a good thing. Yeah. But it, it's, you want to make sure you can communicate in a way to where you can help them see that they're unconsciously good at something so they can communicate that gap to whoever they're working with and bring those strengths out in other people. That's the gap. Yeah. And that's the problem I think with most organizations is they assume because someone's really good at closing that they can communicate how to be good to closing with other people. One of my top reps at a company I worked with before was a VP of sales, had a team of 10, was a horrible coach. And he even loved coaching. Like he was an ex sports guy and he loved yeah. coaching. Like he said, that's one of my favorite parts of being a manager is coaching. And I go watch his one-on-ones. I'm like, you have no idea what you're doing <laughs> to him. He was to him saying things like be more positive or, um, you should say this instead of that or that kind of stuff. That was coaching. And I was like, that's, that's pieces, but you're missing the foundation, which is where are they at? How do they get to the next step? It's the little things like with, with a pitcher on, on baseball. It's like, okay, instead of throwing over, throw under or, or hold the ball like this instead of this or um, teaching more methodology and, and strategy so that you can teach a man how to fish versus fishing for them. You know, it, it was a yeah. lot of what I find a lot. And I use that analogy. A lot of times coaches are the teaching teaching people, or I should say they're fishing for their people and they call that coaching. That's not yeah. coaching. You have to teach someone how to catch their own stuff. And that becomes great. A good coach to me brings out 
greatness in somebody else. It's not about how awesome they are. It's about how awesome the other person is and bringing it yeah. out inside of them. If you can't do that, then again, what exactly are you doing? And if you're doing something else, great, but it's not coaching. Yeah. There's so many great, great things in there. I suppose to, to take it all the way back to like the sports analogy, I, it's put, there's probably a person in every sport that does it, um, and I'm a I'm a footballer or soccer guy, as you guys would call it. Um, <laughs> you say actual football or soccer? Yeah, like as in like my actual football. Oh, your football. Actual... Okay, you're okay. The, the fake football. I get it. Yeah. So the, the actual football that you actually play with your actual feet. That one. Yeah, that one. <laughs> you're right. So wait, wait, I don't know how familiar you are with with um, English football teams. Oh, so yeah. so. At Man United, there was a player called Roy Keane, right? Very famous central midfielder. So um, I refer to that top performer moving over as Roy Keane syndrome. So Roy Keane, when he became a manager, he like he played at the top, the top level, very very competitive person, you know, top performer. Um, and again, going back to that unconscious competence, he just had it. Like so, then he would tell me what what he, his expectations were so wild of these young players coming through that he was managing and supposed to develop um, that. He was like, "Why? Why are you turning up on time? Why are you not here five minutes early? Like, why? Why are you not opening your body this way? Or what, why? Why don't you know that? Because he did it instinctually because he was such mm-hmm. a, a a fantastic player. So that's what I refer to with that, and it's 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 so prevalent within sales leaders, a top performer, sorry, who become sales leaders. And the other part you touched on again to go back to the, the talk I did for the SEC on leadership development, um, in terms of where you think enablement fits into that around the. The, the skill gap for me, I I think where we fall down a lot in coaching culture, whether it be enablement or others, is we always talk about why coaching is super important. We always talk about what type of coaching we should be doing, but we very, very, very rarely, in my experience, tell people how to coach, which leads to yeah. your other point, right? Mm-hmm. And we just created, um, at Andela, we just created a leadership development program and we've got you know, one-to-ones module, we've got sales coaching model, we've got a forecasting model, but it's all about how to run deal reviews. Everything is like a coaching conversation because it has to be, right? Mm-hmm. And there's times where in the, the forecasting element, it's like, right, well, don't coach during the forecast, but ask these specific questions. So even like, to, to take it to my own experience, I was trying to implement a coaching culture at Andela last year. Um, it was like a big thing, you know, use Gong, utilise it, get everyone coaching. And because my background is coaching, both in and out of work, and when I was a sales leader, it was the thing I was most passionate about. So I assumed everyone was going to be that passionate, which they're not, right? Like, not everyone has is, is that excited about it. But also, we, I was trying to put KPIs on the managers, and I never asked them if how comfortable would they were with coaching. I never asked them, do they know how to coach? And if you ask anyone, they're going to say yes, right? Because everyone's been coached. Right, when maybe they have or maybe they haven't. So I think we make a, a huge assumption there around the how. And you know, you've been a life coach. I I've done a lot of coaching. I'm I think what's it called a master master practitioner in NLP as well. So I've done a little bit nice. outside, as well as the, the sports coaching, as well as the sales coaching. And the bit the bit your biggest best friend is some sort of framework. Or would you agree that some sort of framework is 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 a, certainly a useful starting point if you're rolling out coaching at a in a sales org. Yeah, I mean, someone needs something. I I always like to, um, I want someone to experience in some way, shape, or form, whether that's watching or actually being coached. So, if I'm coaching a coach, um, number one, I want to make sure they can define for me what is coaching, and, and then I'll tell them, okay, coach me on something. 
I don't care what it is. Coach me on something. I want to see what you think coaching is. And then once they show me, I'm like, okay, great. That's good. Or I'm like, that's not coaching. Because <laughs> um, <clears throat> and, and, and that, that wasn't coaching. <laughs> that wasn't coaching. Let's start over. That was, that was, that was, uh, well, I don't even know what you want to call it sometimes, but, um, but yes, yeah, so a framework is helpful. I don't necessarily like scripts. I'm not, mm-hmm. well, I'd say this in a way I'm kind of unorthodox in a lot of things I, I think because I'm not a fan of role plays. I love practice. Like I love practice time. I hate role plays. I think there's well, two. I, I, I never have my next question after but, you finish this. Yeah. <laughs> but, and that's the same thing as scripts. I, I love having people have a framework of what to say. I hate scripts because it brings a robotic yep. side of it. But th- there's sometimes it's necessary so you know what to say and it becomes instinctual and habit and all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of the same concept. Like I want to give someone the principles. And again, I guess the framework could be a good way to say it, but at least some sort of process to walk through so that they can understand what coaching actually is. And to me, one of the biggest keys of helping them learn that is knowing um, what are they trying to accomplish, which to me, it's about, um, I think a lot of times people think coaching is telling someone an answer again, fishing for them instead of Mm -hmm. teaching them how to fish. Yep. Um, and if once you can take someone through and saying, okay, this is how you draw answers out of you by asking really good questions and then asking questions around what they're not saying or what you notice they're not saying, um, that's where the real coaching comes in. Because what I want to do is I want to commit whoever I'm working with to something that they said. I don't want to bring up something saying, this is what I think you should do. Yep. I want to bring up something that they think and be like, okay, you want to work on this skill. Tell me what you think about this, and, and then I'll bring up something. Great, that's what we're going to work on, and it's their word they're holding themselves to. And I'm just there as an accountability partner more than anything. But I'm yeah. a facilitator through the journey of discovery, and then I hold them accountable to that, and that's where performance can shift. Because sometimes you do need to bring up the blind spots, but a lot of times people have the answers they need. You know, so hundred percent. Yeah, no, I, I, you, I, it's, again, it seems like you and I are very similar in the thought process. Like my one of my favorite questions, I suppose it's like a. Um, a one two really is on a scale of one to ten. How would you rate this skill, right? And if they say because the answer is almost immaterial, almost no one picks a ten, right? Yeah. So if, even if someone goes eight, my my follow up question is what what will it take to get move that from an eight to a nine or a nine to ten? So yep. then they're telling you right, and then you go okay, so that's what we're going to work on. Or what? Or if, I mean, if it's not quite right, you can obviously dig into that a little bit. Yep. And I'm I'm similar. I think the the the, the framework that we just tried to roll out at Andela. Um, the first piece of it, and I, th- I genuinely believe that not only is it the most important, but it's the most missed out. And it's we'll get to don't, don't worry, we'll get to your role plays statement in a minute. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, but the the biggest part for me is that self reflective part for reps. I think a lot of managers going after the the any sort of role play or session or even live call, and the first thing is okay, let me tell you what you can do better, or let me tell you what you did well. But for me, that 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 first question. After when it's a role play, when it's a live call, for me the first question would be, so how do you think that went? And fr- from that answer, you get to you get to understand so much about the person. Mm-hmm. So listen to how they talk. Is it overly um, positive? Is it overly negative? Based on those, you can then use presuppositions of your of your next question, right? So if they go, oh, I did this, this well, this well, this well, the next question. So what areas do you think you could improve it? Or what would you change if you did it again? Or if they are completely negative, you can, again, use your presupposition and say, so you told me all that. What do you think you did well? Right, so then you start to get them answering the questions. And I just feel like yeah. I've seen so many training uh, coaching sessions in my life um, that 
and I've just seen it being missed out and more, more often, more, vastly more often than actually being asked. And I, and I think to 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 parlay that into my views on coaching, and I've and I said this at the live SEC event I spoke at last year is most people confuse feedback with coaching. Yeah. And my definition is feedback is an opinion on something that's already happened. Coaching is um, helping someone find the solution to unlock future performance. And I think that most companies who think they have a coaching culture that's have a feedback culture at best, <laughs> like you say, yeah. and some, some of them don't even like that. So based around this wild statement you just made a second ago around role plays, talk, talk me through. Well, I want to go faster than the one thing you said, like that question sure. of scale one to 10, if they say anything less than 10, what's between you and that, you know, I actually got that from NLP. I do that. Yeah, and I, I love that question because it drives right. out so much, you know, but at the same yeah. time, I know some people will be listening will say that something to the effect of like, you know, so you're coaching someone, but what if they legitimately do not know the answer? They don't know what they don't know. Like they just don't know the skill. And it does like they may or may not have the answer. But that's part of what a coach can do is saying, okay, I'm going to now step in. Cause if you're in a level one competency here and you just don't know how to close someone, great, let's work on it. Like let's, Let's leverage the top reps. Let's leverage Gong. Even if you don't have that, let's shadow someone and watch how they do it. Um, and then let's watch those skills, words, questions, whatever they're doing. And then let's work on that in your own process and keep you accountable to it. Like, there's a lot of ways you can do it. But I think it's, 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 I just want to make sure I'm putting out there that there's sometimes where people don't know stuff, but that's where as a coach, you need to understand when you need to draw out of them an answer or you have to find it for them because they just don't know, you know? Yeah. And I, but again, you could probably still use a similar questioning framework to, to then not give them the answer or to, to like for example let's just say they ask a bad question and how else could you ask that question and you're like I don't know they just really can't get it and you could be like using a, almost a compare and contrast type situation but like, so you asked it this way how do you what I'm going to ask you this as another example what do you think is which, which one do you think is better well the way that you phrased it why because of this, 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 and this. So you can still use, even though you're get, essentially giving them the answer, you can still coach them through so that yeah. they actually reinforce why it's better in their own head. Right? Rather than just having like a, they've now got a post-it note of your your way of asking that question, right? Um, but yeah, it's the, the thing is, coaching is a, it's a deliberate act and it's it's got, you, I mean, lots of people, and I'm, I'm, I include myself in this at times, have overcoached. Right, where yeah. you know, like someone does have the answer. And I, I remember having it happen to me after my whole sales team went on a, went on a um, leadership course. And I was like, So my boss kept saying, Well, what, what do you think you could do to fix that? I was like, I don't know. Yeah, but if you if it was up to you to fix it, what do you think you could do? Like, Jamie, I'm telling you, I don't know. Like, please help me out. Like, yeah. we're going to be stuck here for the next three days unless you help me out here. And he just, because he was using, he was very literal with the, with the, um, the questions. Yeah. Yeah, so and I and I've, I'm sure I've done that. I'm almost certain I've done it. So yeah, you keep trying to No, sorry, I think I think it's the balance though. Like, um, mm. I've done something similar to what you would suggest as well. Because sometimes people just don't have the answer. I don't. I don't like to give people answers. I like to give them options. So, like to what yeah. you said, if they asked a question that wasn't very effective, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to rewrite or redo these questions in four different ways. And you tell me which one would be better. Cause I don't want to say in, in my experience, I don't want to ever suggest that what I'm saying or doing 
is the highest and best way because I'm the man and I'm Absolutely. awesome. Like that. I'm not, and yeah. I'm not saying you said that. I'm saying for me, that's something I try to be really aware of. I don't want to make them think that I'm awesome and they and they suck. That's not what I'm trying to do. I like yeah. to give them options saying, okay, what you said was this question here. You could say like this, 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 or this, um, of these four, which one resonates with you and tell me why. Um, and then once you find that out and then after they explain, I'll be okay. I'm going to tell you why I did the other four answers. If you did this methodology or this, this is why I had this. And we could ex- explain and talk about it, but I, I want to make sure I'm matching their style, their comfort level, their thought process. Um, but again, part of that is, I mean, this is a bigger conversation, but but it's also making sure they understand the philosophy around it and the principles of it so they can ask the right questions. So I think if people get that, then things come naturally. But anyways, I go off on that for a long time. I won't go down that rabbit hole. So yeah, I think, we'll play. I think, you, I think you, you and I could just forever talk and go back and forth on this <laughs> Something that we we both have very similar thought processes, similar passions, and we'll, we'll both take each other on different tangents. So yeah, we should probably slightly move on to again. You can't do a score about but this this hugely wild statement of yours about role plays, and, and you didn't say that you don't like them. You said you hated them. So I'm going to need some sort of justification for such a <laughs> such a triggering word for me. <laughs> I know I'm very strong opinions on role plays. Um, Clearly, but, on, yeah. but on the opposite side, I love practice. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't one's ever seen uh, one of the sales loft marketing guys puts out content. And one of them was, he, he put out a video where he was, he was showing how people role play. <laughs> yeah. It's a good example of why I cannot stand role plays because it's just, they're just, yeah. The whole reason why role plays exist is for people to practice and make sure they know what they're doing when it actually happens in person. But that's there's two sides of it that I don't like. Number one is anytime you say role play in sales, you yeah. have defensive mechanisms come up in someone because it's an uncomfortable sorry, it's an uncomfortable, weird situation because people know that it's fake. They know you're trying to practice to be a customer not knowing something, but you already know that. Like people know this, not stupid. Like I'm gonna role play this, but I know you already know this. It's just all of it becomes this charade where true learning doesn't exist. And the reason why I say that is because Another learning principle is um, a th- something called the effective filter, which I talk about in the course. But but it basically comes down to when someone is embarrassed, uh, feeling shy, um, feels attacked, any type of negative thing, a wall comes up, and learning cannot happen in that environment. Yeah. Role plays are like the epitome of what makes someone have walls come up, which means I can't teach them. But if I talk about practice and I say, "Hey, I don't want to role play; I want to practice," let's practice this because because for me. A salesperson, like, uh, you know, you go up to bat and you have to swing. So a lot of times to practice, a salesperson has to practice their speak. So I'll give them like um, whatever script we're working on. I, I want them to practice saying it to me. I don't want them to role play and say, I'm a customer. and pretend I'm a, Don't do that. I just want to say, okay, practice saying this thing. Get comfortable saying this statement, this question, this thing, so that when it comes to a customer, it's natural yeah. um, and not so much of a, of a you know a thing I have to read off script like I'm supposed to ask you right now uh, blah, blah 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 or this paragraph of you yeah. know the solution so that's my opinion only because I've seen it I, I told you before when I was been in sales <clears throat> I've been in so many different role play experiences myself as a person going through it yeah and then as a person watching from the outside and I have I have never seen it go well I've only seen it used when it makes the person who is facilitating the role play look awesome 
which means it's an ego trip. And I'm like, that's not going to yeah. work for me. I'm not here to show them how awesome I am because I can ask you questions like, let me show you. Okay, now you're the customer. Let me show you what I would do and how awesome I am. And blah. That's n- I don't want to do that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I hope that answers the question. But I, I'm more about, again, bringing out something in them and bringing the comfort level to them. I want them to learn and to grow, and they can't do that if they feel defensive. No, I, I absolutely get that. And I've I've – Obviously, I've been in sales as uh, previously in the as well, and been in many, many a role play situation. And and you know, I just got so comfortable with them over the over the years. Um, and I think, yeah, but I think it's also different now. Like, obviously, cold calling has a different sort of stigma around it, and people want to email more in general. Obviously, that's that's changing sort of Q one of this year. But um, no, I I can actually think of times where I believe I've coached well after a role play and it still had a more of a negative impact on the person than than positive and to give I suppose to, to give you an example of what I mean there is talking about questions that they asked and they've gone oh, they've asked only surface level questions and then you go okay so let's dig how would you dig a bit deeper don't know then you give them some examples and then they actually feel like they're f- much further away from being good at something than they actually are because you're yeah. actually able to show where they could have done this that and the other and the thing is because and, and even if you did the same thing after a live call i just don't think it would be the same as it wouldn't have the same feeling as after um doing a role play and, and it's like yeah people get like an adrenaline spike when you do real calls but it's it's a, yeah. it's a it's almost like a what's the what's the other one the the, the negative one um not not dopamine the other one anyway they get they spike that cortisol they get a cortisol, yeah, cortisol. spike like an adrenaline spike um but yeah so i've got one last question before we try and jump into the, the practical tactical side so i want to take this conversation up a level yeah in terms of we always talk about coaching reps and we always talk about managers, but let's talk about senior leadership as a way to sort of wrap this, wrap a bow around this. So when, whether whether it be sort of trying to relay the importance of coaching to a VP or a, a sales leader or, or you know even a CRO yeah. for, for them to then cascade that down across, or are you actually trying to coach them? Do you take a is your approach to that any different? Could you talk us through if you were if you were in a situation like that, how you would approach it? Yeah, um, it really depends on the leaders because hopefully the leaders. I mean, a lot of times people leaders say they're open for coaching, but they don't always want it from someone who's quote unquote beneath them. Which usually, you know, for enablement, you're not the boss of zero. The zero's boss of you. You know, so. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a little bit different beast. Um, but for me, I'm more of a kind of a blunt, direct person. So I always like to to be blunt with things. And, I, and I, I've said in the past to many CRO, I'll be like, are, are you okay if I give you some insight on coaching? And from my seat, and I'll just tell them, I'm not the best coach in the world. I'm just, I am, am your enablement guy. And I hope I can have something and bring something to you. I'm like, most of the time, depending on how they respond to that question, um, if they're like, yeah, please tell me if they're anxious for it. And I give them some insight and they're okay with it. Like the leaders I like to work with are those who, <clears throat> the ones I respect and admire are the ones who will take feedback or, or coaching from anybody. And they're not yeah. egotistical about it. When they get hesitant about that answer or that question, it's a red flag for me about, okay, how do I, how am I going to handle a situation? Because there's times where leaders do need to be coached. Um, so I'll coach them without lo- letting them know I'm coaching them. <laughs> yes. Meaning by, you know, it's the same thing of like asking those questions of like, 
that one to ten question asked that all the time, Ciro. It's like uh, our team's just not very good at closing. You need to make it better. I'm like, great, uh, that's awesome. Where would you? I'm just curious. Where are we at from one to ten? Ten being awesome, one being horrible. Oh, we're at a five. Great. What what, what do you think would be better to get us from five to ten? What do you think needs to happen? When you do this and this and this, great. Well, what do you think about this? Oh, we can do this. Like, like I, co- I take them to a coaching session, but I don't call it a coaching session. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then just, I'm able to draw it out for them, right? It's not a coaching session. Yeah, I'm just right? I'm coaching them, but they don't know that I'm bringing them to their own answer or to an answer that I need because yeah. they may not be very good at communicating. A lot of times, people are like make them close better. Great. <laughs> How do yeah. I do that? Yeah. I'll go. Yeah. No, I, I say I again no, to no surprise to you, to me, or to probably anyone listening at this point. But you and I have a similar process on it. Yeah. Or I, I've got a, a couple of like. It's like the question before the question. Now, if you know someone, a, a, a VP or a sales leader is not particularly that bothered about coaching the team or whatever. They just expect it to be done. Or like I've had it where VPs have pushed back and go, like, I'd rather um, my manager's focused on something that's going to actually move the needle. And I'd be like, well, then this is this is the thing. But my question to them is, when they say, oh, no, my team is fine, they don't need coaching, my, my, my sort of question before the question is like, um, do you feel like your team has hit the ceiling with it with regards to performance? Yeah. And then you say no. And I'm like, so again, you could then you can go scale of one to ten. But for me, it's okay. So in order to get your, your team closer to the ceiling, what do you think we could do to 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 improve that? Number one answer is coaching every single time. So again, it's just like the as, as I say, it's the question before the question, right? Yeah. Do you believe that you've hit again? I've used that with salespeople. Oh, I don't have time to watch this on objection hand, this you know, enablement hour or whatever. So you, do you believe you've hit your ceiling with it with objection handling? Do you think you're at yep. top performance? Well, no, I'm not. Couldn't say I was top performing. Okay, so what what do you think you would work on? Okay, well that's interesting. That's what we spoke about in this enablement. Oh, I'll go and give it a watch then. Do you know? So it's just it's that it's a process of, and I think that's the the life skill of coaching, right? Is you be able to put it to yeah to any any sort of thing like NLP. You've got like power words. I'm a I'm a huge fan of the word realistically, right? It's like tell me the truth without me saying tell me the truth. Right, like you get a sales rep say, "Oh, I'm going to ask you to update your CRM when we have it done." I'll have it done in the next half an hour. Well, realistically, if you've got the forecast call and this, when do you think you'll actually be able to get it done? And you hear people go, "Um," and they actually think before they give you the answer. Right? And you go, and you go "Oh, actually, you're right. Maybe maybe it'll be like midday." I'm like, cool, that's fine. But that's t- you've given yourself two hours grace at that point. So, um, so to bring us to a close, I like to always ask you to leave everyone listening with two tips, practical and a tactical. So if you were, you walked in to a new head of enablement role, which I'm sure is coming ASAP for you, very, we'll very talented, very, very wonderful gentleman, so I don't yeah. doubt it. But if you were to walk in and you were to look at it from a tactical point of view, putting, implementing a coaching culture, what would be your one tip, either for yourself or any, any other enablement people out there? To implement something from scratch, never had it happen before? Yeah, tactical. What's it, what was the first thing you're going to look at doing? If all I did was create an accountability function to where people are being held accountable to doing something, I want to change behavior, which changing behavior will change a lot of other things. Even if coaching is mediocre, I'd rather have mediocre coaching of something than nothing, right? Yeah. So for me, it'd be creating some sort of accountability structure. If I did that, then I know we can shift and then I can improve on whatever is actually happening. But unless it's actually happening in the first place, I can't improve on it. Perfect. And if or let's just say for any enabled people out there who are listening now, 
they've got some semblance of of coaching, uh, coaching culture or coaching as part of their job. Mm-hmm. What's a practical tip that you could give them that would help them improve their coaching skills or coaching abilities today? Practical tip. It's a good question. It really depends on where they're at, but I'll try to give one that's broad. Um, what? Okay. I'll, hopefully, I'll say this in a way that makes sense. Um, when you are in with someone and you're trying to do, you know, performance improvement, and they're trying to get to an answer, or they, or you want, or you're tempted to say an answer to a question or to a problem versus a question challenge yourself to take that answer and to shift it into a question. Um, so for example, um, I, I have like a, a list of questions in the, in the course I made, but one is like the assumptive type of question, which means, um, I'll see, see if I can give even an example here. Sorry about this. I'm going to try and figure this out if I can do it live. Um, so if someone's, if someone says, okay, how do I close better? And you want to give them an answer of like, okay, make sure you say the word, um, investment instead of cost that's a very simple example right so you want you're tempted to say well instead of saying cost you should say investment that's your answer you want to say shift that into a question and be like um, what other words do you think could work besides cost that have a positive impact and then they start saying their words of like investment or or whatever that is like i want to shift it to where i have to stop myself and go okay how can i instead of saying this answer what question can i do to bring that out in them so it's that it's that pause. Give yourself that pause. So instead of instead of you holding back, and you're like, I gotta capture my answers. Staying in the question, okay, how, what would you say to make this positive? What's a, a, a opposite of this positive? You could say this word. Great, let's do that. And then you hold them to that that answer. That's what I think a good coach can do is, um, is guide them through the process of figuring out something, even though they didn't, maybe never have had it before. Because you ask questions in a way they go, oh, I never thought about that way before, or. Oh, that's cool. I can think of, I can think of five words that uh, I can opposite cost. you know, like whatever it is, a good coach can bring that answer out in them. Cause that's what you're ultimately there to do is to bring confidence to their performance and the skills so that it actually brings results in revenue, CSMs, BDRs, whatever their, their performance is, but you want to bring it up so their performance actually has measurable impact. Wonderful. So just to, t- to um, finish up, if people were looking to hear more, from you or read stuff that you do where's, where's the best place to connect with you or to to get in contact with you uh, linkedin that's the best place to go you can just or hit, hit up kieran he'll i'm sure share my personal information and i'll have all sorts of crazies after i'm just kidding there's no crazies but i'm just kidding <laughs> seriously linkedin i looked at all the messages i ever receive anyone ever needs any help happy to if you go to the sec look at the courses obviously the course is there but i do other stuff as well outside of that so happy to help anywhere i can Wonderful. Well, Jonathan, I really appreciate all your time today. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Thank you.